You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we will spend uh, all of our time this morning in verse 16. If you're new here, I know Michael already welcomed you, but uh, we're so thrilled uh, to have you either with us or watching online uh, so grateful that, that we are able to, to gather in person. Some of us know that most of you, uh, most of our church is still watching from your homes. And so thank you for participating with us. I do want to give uh, a bit of an update as, um, you know, things seem to be surging again and numbers, especially here in North Texas, are increasing. Uh, we are just having ongoing conversations with uh, people in our church who are medical professionals who oversee large Um, you know, medical offices or hospitals and just saying, hey, here's our guidelines and here's uh, what we have done to make sure that we can gather in a way that is safe and that is cautious Uh, and just continuing to ask the question uh, of, is this still okay and is this still the right thing to do? And so had that conversation just a couple days ago, decided to continue to meet in person, to continue offering this service We will revisit that conversation again this week. I say that to say this, just to let you know that we are uh, wanting to continue to walk in wisdom as it relates to what it looks like to be uh, a church in these very strange and unprecedented times. Having said that, uh, I am so grateful that we are able to do this. Uh, As awkward as it is in so many ways, uh, as uncomfortable as it is in so many ways, I just had the conversation 10 minutes before walking on stage that, that... that there, it's almost hard to know uh, how we have missed this until it's back in our lives. And maybe you experience that even just singing these songs and saying, okay, I had, I had no, or maybe I did have an idea, but at least for me, I did not know how much my soul missed being together with the people of God until last Sunday and then this morning. To those of you who are not able to be here, we miss you Thank you for participating. We hope to be together again soon. Colossians 3, uh, 16. Let me tell you where we're going this morning. It's a very simple but important reminder. The gospel of Jesus, uh, his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, return, it is not just a message we hear once and move on. The gospel is truth that we need every day, and truth that we build our lives around. Last March, I was with a group from our church and a few other churches in Israel. It was my third time to go, uh, and it was by far the most interesting because of COVID, and, and it kind of, when we got there, COVID was one thing, and while we were there, it, turned, it was declared a pandemic while we were in Israel. So that changed a lot of the trip, but despite all that, it was still wonderful. I think the third to the last day that we were there, we headed south of Jerusalem to go visit uh, Qumran, which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and to visit the Dead Sea. And south of Jerusalem is desert. It is barren wilderness. It's specifically, it's the Judean desert. Uh, and it is likely the wilderness that the people of God wandered in for the 40 years before going into the Promised Land. It is the wilderness where John the Baptist launched his ministry, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make way, uh, the Prepare the way of the Lord. You know it. Uh, it, is, it was possibly where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness uh, after 40 days of, of fasting. And so it's hot and it's dead and it's a lot of sand and it's a lot of nothing. Feels a lot like Odessa, Texas. If you've ever been out there, it's just empty and it's nothingness. 
And um, it's the kind of um, barren, it's the kind of empty, it's the kind of uninhabited that's intimidating. Like if you're on, as we're driving down the highway and I'm looking out the window at all of this desert, uh, the thought creeps in, if I was out here by myself, I just wouldn't make it. Now, part of that's because I have no survival skills, but part of that's just because it's, it's desert, it's dry, it's wilderness, it's uninhabitable. And then as you keep going further south, what you'll see, just a, a few spaces, all of a sudden, there are these little pockets of green that just erupt off of the landscape. It's desert and desert and desert, and then all of a sudden there's these beautiful trees, or there's a green field where people are growing crops, and there's communities, and there's homes, and there's cities that, have, that, are, that are just right there in the middle of parched earth, in the middle of what around it is dead and uninhabited. All of a sudden you have these signs of life, and, and what's happening is uh, there are uh, in the desert of Judea, there are mountains kind of up on the uh, east. And out of those mountains, there are a few small springs that flow from the mountains down into the Dead Sea. And those streams that flow out of the mountain, they provide pure water. And so in the middle of land that feels uninhabitable, these streams, these life-giving streams of water flow through the wilderness. And what you can see around the stream is life. Because for thousands of years, people have found that life in the middle of the desert, and they have said, this will sustain life, and this will sustain food, and this will sustain families, and this will sustain homes. And so they build their life around the stream. Because to be close to it is to be able to live. To move away from it is to be back into the land that is uninhabitable. So even today, what you can see is the contrast of hot and parched and dead. And then in the middle of all of that, just this life bursting off of the landscape. And so where you see life and where you see food and where you see flourishing of life, it's because there's a stream there. That's sustaining life and feeding life. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ is the gospel of Jesus. It's the good news of what he has done, what you, Christian, what you believe to be uh, true for your life, what you believe to be maybe the most important thing in life, that Jesus uh, died, that he rose again, that Jesus saves, that the only answer, the only hope is the one and only Jesus who saves, right? That is the gospel. That's the word of Christ here in Colossians 3.16. And then Paul says this, let that gospel dwell among you. Let it make its home among you. It is to live with you. Rather, you and I are to live by it, to build our home around it. The gospel of Jesus is the spring of water that erupts off the landscape in a dry, empty, dead world. Those of us who believe that, those of us who have found life there, we don't just visit, we make our home around it because we believe that it and it alone sustains life. And so we orient 
all of our life around the waters of the gospel of Jesus. In this world, there's a lot of desert. There's a lot of parched earth. There are a lot of people trying to build their life around their own effort and other gods. And you can drive down miles and miles of highway and see no signs of life. But there is one spring that comes out of the wilderness, and it's Jesus. And those who make their home around him flourish. Those who make their home, those who build their lives where it dwells, there is life and there is flourishing. And look, the gospel is not something that you hear once and move past. He does not say, let the word of Christ visit occasionally. The gospel does not visit and leave. The gospel moves in and remains. We make our home around it so that we can draw life from it every day. Last Sunday was our first Sunday to be back together. I know most are watching on camera still. Before last Sunday, what we did was we pre-recorded our services. So most of you know that Sunday morning was not a live event. Those were pre-recorded, and we posted them on Sundays. And so that meant something very interesting for the rollers. It's my last name, if you don't know. Uh, That meant something very interesting for my family. I would preach on Thursday... We would record the sermon, and then we would post the service on Sunday. So just like your family, maybe gathered in the living room, around the TV, pulled up the Vimeo app, and watched our services, that's what my family did. And so Sunday mornings, we would get to it, and uh, our family would sit on the couch, we would listen as Bleeker led worship, and then uh, we would, that what that meant was me, along with my family, uh, watching myself preach. And if that sounds awkward to you, You have no idea how awkward that was. I finally understand the verse, a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. (laughs) Most Sundays were really sweet. Most Sundays it was, you know, COVID and all of the social distancing and all that has been a mixed bag of different things. There's been a lot of it that's been really sad and really heartbreaking and really disorienting. And then for, for, for some people, in some ways, it's afforded something that's been very sweet. And so for me, what that meant was that meant the longest stretch of being home with my family on a Sunday morning in 15 years. And so there were a lot of things about that that were sweet. Wanted mostly to be back together, but because we couldn't. And so in the living room, it was sweet. It was mostly just full of distraction, right? Like many of you watching or experiencing right now. And then one morning, my two older kids, I have a son and a daughter, nine and six, and then a youngest who's two. Uh, My two older ones were just not having it. Didn't want to do church. They wanted to watch Bleeker lead worship with his boys and then turn it off and go do something else. And so we kind of went back and forth, and I said, finally just asked why. Why don't you want to do church this morning? And they were really quiet, like there was something that they really didn't want to say. And so I pressed, and my son finally said, Dad, it's the sermons. (laughs) I was like, okay, what about the sermons? And he said, Dad, you say the same thing every week. And then Addie, my six-year-old, chimes in. She goes, yeah, Dad, all you do is talk about Jesus and your kids. As if she doesn't love that, right? (laughs) And uh, I look at Carrie for help, my wife, and she's just nodding. I'm like, okay. Um, And I didn't have an argument. It's true. Relatively speaking, it's it's the same thing. I just said, look, you're right. You're grounded, but you're right. Uh, We have one message. And and it takes different forms, and it's, it's... determined by the passage of Scripture that we're in for sure. But look, if I peel back the curtain, the one message is Jesus, and it's what God has done in and through Jesus. And so most weeks, I am just trying to ask new questions that Jesus is the answer to. And most weeks, I'm just trying to present new problems that Jesus is the only solution to. And that's the way it should be. 
Because the word of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, it never runs out of life. And it never runs out of beauty. And it is always and forever the spring bursting out of the wilderness offering life. We are not in need of more than the gospel. We are in need of more of the gospel. Right? And so most weeks, if not every week, we come back to that and we say something like this, friends. There is a holy, triune, perfect God. And he is so set apart that he is unapproachable because our lives are stained by sin. And that God made us to live lives of peace. And we are made for him, but separate from him because of our sin against him. And we have no hope in ourselves. And if we offer to that God our performance, it wouldn't be enough. And if we offer to that God our promises, it wouldn't be enough. And if we offer to that God how we stack up against others, it wouldn't be enough. And our gifts fall short. And our, mortality, our morality that is strengthened in our minds by the failures of those around us is exposed as rags before a spotless God. And we are apart from God. And we are helplessly thirsty and aimlessly wandering in a parched world needing life that we have no shot of finding on our own. But God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, and he redeems us, and he forgives us, and he makes peace with us through the blood of his cross that we might be holy and blameless before him. And that grace and that salvation and that love is always enough. When I find myself perpetually failing, it's still enough. And when I uh, find myself crippled with doubt, it's still enough. And when I find myself in a world that is falling apart, it's still enough. And when I find myself abandoned and all alone, it's still enough. And one day I will stand face to face with that holy God. And the righteous life of Jesus in my place will be more than enough to secure for me an eternity of joy and peace with the one who made me and saved me and loves me and never left me. And so I will plant my life around that message. And I will plant my life around that word. And I will draw life from that word. And I will agree with the prophet Jeremiah who said, the one who trusts in the Lord will be like a tree planted by streams of water that doesn't fear when heat comes comes and continues to bear fruit even in times of drought. The good news of Jesus, our Savior, is the only source of life for you and for me in a dry world. Let that word dwell. Stay by it. Don't leave it. You found the stream in the wilderness. Build a home there. Draw from that water every day. How? Paul answers that for us. 316, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let me read it again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your heart. Heart, the way that we draw from that water, the way that, we, uh, that way that we build our lives around the gospel of Jesus is two things, his word and his songs. According to verse 16, it's his word and his songs. Let's start with his word. You say, uh, the, the passage says teaching and admonishing, and what it says is teaching, what it means is teaching and admonishing the Bible. For the church in Colossae, uh, what this meant for them was the Old Testament, 
and also the oral tradition about Jesus that was handed down from the disciples and from guys like Paul. They didn't have the New Testament. They are the New Testament. For us, it's a lot more simple than that. It's just one book. We have it all in one book. It's the Bible. It is all about God, and it all culminates and points to what God has done in and through Jesus. And so there are two words here that we're told uh, shape our relationship with the Bible. It teaches us and it admonishes us. Let me provide two different words that, that carry the same meaning. Our relationship with the Bible is a relationship of breadth, and depth. Our relationship to the Bible is both wide and it's deep. We will remain close to the Word of Christ by having a breadth relationship and a depth relationship with the Word of God. Here's what I mean by breadth. We are students of God's Word, all of us as Christians. To orient our life around the gospel of Jesus is to know the full counsel of Scripture. And I don't mean you have to learn Greek and Hebrew, and I don't mean that you have to have all of the systematics figured out, but hear me, friend, you are a theologian. You are. Theology is just the study of God, belief about God. If you're here right now, if you're watching right now, you believe things about God. That means you're a theologian. You have a theology. The question is, is your belief about God informed by the written revelation of God? That's his word. And so we need to know these books, and we need to know these stories and we are in a time in the world where access to that knowledge is easier than ever. Resources abound. There are gobs of videos and podcasts and instruments that we can access to be able to learn God's Word. And yet, we're also at a time in history where maybe the discipline of learning God's Word is as neglected as ever. And here's what I know, that we, everyone in this room, the fact that I have a Bible here on a music stand in front of me is here because of men and women who gave their life to preserve and protect the Bible for us, who gave their life so that we could have the Bible, and giving their life to preserve and to protect what much of the Western world has on our tables as a book we never read, or much of the Western world has on our phones as an app we never open. Let it not be true, friends. Let it not be that we need the word of God so that the gospel of Jesus would remain the source of life for us. It helps us to live by the stream that we found in the middle of the wilderness. And, and that means doing what you're doing right now. You're already on your way, hearing the Bible taught in church. It means home groups and, and Bible class and recovery. And, and every ministry space here at Citizens Church is centered on and shaped by the Bible. But it also means you and I striving to be in the Word of God every day. And that can be intimidating, right? We don't know where to start. What do we do when we read something that we're confused with? There are, there are plenty of ways forward in that. But it's as simple as just list, committing to listen in your car even. Did you know that there is an app where James Earl Jones will read the Bible to you? Who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't want to hear the book of Revelation read by Darth Vader? I mean, there's something... <laughs> that we're missing there if we're not listening to that, right? There are endless ways, endless ways. I trust you to access that, to figure that out, to ask for help where you need help. You will not regret, hear this, you will not regret time spent in this book, but you also will not stumble into time spent in this book. If we're going to stay by the word of Christ, we have to be in the word of God in a way that expands our knowledge of who that God is. It's also depth. 
teaching and admonishing. The word admonish is a conflict word. It's a rebuke word. The Bible will change you. The Bible will refine you. We should expect in reading the Bible to discover a God who disagrees with us. Tim Keller says, if you worship a God who never disagrees with you, you worship yourself. And so when you read the Bible, you're going to confront that that God's ways are different. Uh, I act a way, I think a way, I believe a way, and when God's word is held up against my life, my ways fall short of his ways, and we have to submit to his ways in, in, in depth. It's different than breadth. Depth comes from letting his word change us, from letting his word confront us. Tony Evans is one of my favorite preachers. He pastors a church called Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Uh, when I was in college, he preached in chapel at the Bible college that I attended. And after hearing him preach, I thought, if what that man just did was preach, I want to do that for the rest of my life, or at least try to do that the rest of my life. He is incredible. Uh, I would encourage you to read the articles that he's written recently on racial justice and on the church's role in that fight and on the way forward in that fight. He wrote one in the Dallas Morning News that was published a couple weeks ago. He is a faithful biblical voice always. He is especially helpful right now. He has written a commentary on the entire Bible, which I can't tell you how frustrating it is that that's a thing. Uh, but on this verse, 316, he tells, an he tells a story. He, he presents an illustration. He says, when my wife and I have people over, we say to them, make yourself at home. You've done that. You've invited people to your house, and you've said that. Make yourself at home. He said, but what my wife and I mean is make yourself comfortable in our living room or make yourself comfortable in the kitchen, right? We don't want them to go into our bedroom. We don't want them to go searching into our closets, right? Uh, we want them, we offer to them a portion of our home, and we invite them to make themselves at home, but only in part of our home. And he says this, that's the relationship that many of us have with God's word. That what we often do is we invite it into parts of our lives. Make yourself at home. Shine light on these areas that I'm prepared to hear from you, that I want to hear from you, but stay out of my marriage and stay away from my job and don't tell me how to spend my money and stay away from my past and stay away from my politics. These are the rooms that you're allowed into and all these other ones are ones I'd rather you just stay out of. And we only let the word of God do the work in the parts of our hearts that we decide. And when we approach the Bible that way, we have breadth of knowledge, but we forfeit depth. Would you hear me? Breadth is how much you know. Depth is how much what you know has changed you. And there is danger that our knowledge, especially when it comes to God, especially when it comes to the Bible, there's danger that that knowledge is wide, but it's not deep. And that amounts to churches filled with people who know facts about God, but don't look like him. They know facts about God, but they are not deep. They're not deep enough to know how to fight for biblical values with biblical virtues. So we fight for the issues that reflect God's heart, but do so in a way that looks nothing like God. And when Christians are right in the wrong way, everyone loses. 
not deep enough to be honest about our flaws and know that we are in just as much need of grace as anyone else, not deep enough to believe that God has given me a purpose, a glorious purpose, and invited me into a story, a wonderful story, and it's bigger than me, and he is the hero, and I am the servant, and I find joy and contentment in life, not by being in the spotlight, but by sweeping his stage and, and, and humbling myself that his glory is what my life is created to orient around Oh, that we would be deep people and we would uh, move into that depth by submitting our lives to the word of God and we would make the prayer of Psalm 139 our prayer with a Bible open in front of us every day and we say to God, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path everlasting. You know what breadth and depth will do? Reading the Bible in a way that's wide and deep, reading the Bible in a way that wants to know and also be known by God and be changed by God, what that will amount to is that will amount to us being kept near the water, that there will be an increasing knowledge of our need for Jesus and at the same time increasing confidence in his love for us. There's a group of uh, Bible scholars that were um, asked to answer a question. And the question was this, could you summarize the message of the Bible in one sentence? So these are women and men with PhDs. They know multiple languages. They've written commentaries. They teach in seminaries. And so you had these incredible answers, lofty sentences filled with words like creation and reconciliation and covenant and kingdom and words I can't even pronounce. My favorite response, though, my favorite response was the shortest response One scholar was asked, what's the message of the Bible in one sentence? And he responded, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Breadth and depth, sitting under the word of God, it will take us over and again back to the stream of water in the wilderness, and it will culminate in this simple truth. I need Jesus, and Jesus loves me, has met that need teaching and admonishing, and then he says this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. His word keeps us near the gospel, and his songs keep us near the gospel. Isn't that interesting? Does it surprise you at all? It surprises me. Does it surprise you at all to see the command to read the Bible right next to the command to sing about God? And they are, they are laid next to each other with equal authority. Why? Why in this conversation would God command that we sing to him? Augustine said this, when it comes to Jesus, there are only two responses, mockers and praisers. You either respond in cynicism to the gospel of Jesus or you respond in song. Singing is this mix of mind and heart and thought and emotion, and here's why it's commanded, friends, I think especially appropriate for our time, that we would remember that following Jesus is not simply an intellectual exercise. God does not just want doctrine. He wants doctrine and doxology. He wants both together. That's what Paul describes here. He he lists three kinds of songs, and what we're seeing is this is how 
the early church, those who followed Jesus right after his resurrection, this is what worship looked like for them. They sang three kinds of songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know what psalms are? The psalms from the Old Testament. They sang them. The early church kept singing the songs of the Jewish people, but they sang them to and about Jesus. So they would sing, likely Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And yet now the Lord has a face and the Lord has a name and they sing it to Jesus. They sing Psalm 16, the Lord is my portion and my cup. I have no good apart from you. And to sing it to Jesus is Jesus, you are my portion and you are what I need and you are what I feast on for life. It's doctrine and doxology thinking the right things, believing the right things, and then responding in the right way. There are truths so magnificent that you cannot respond in apathy and at the same time say that you believe them. Hymns, the early Christians began writing, their, this isn't amazing grace or how great thou art, by hymns, this is the early church's artistic expression of their love for Jesus. Men and women in the first century, all over uh, the Middle East, are writing love songs to Jesus. We have one in this letter, the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, for by him all things are made, both visible and invisible. Some man or some woman sat down and wrote that song about Jesus after he ascended. They are deeply theological and also deeply affectionate because it's doctrine and doxology. Songs from the Spirit, spiritual songs, Better translation is songs from the Spirit. These are songs that Christians are singing, believing the Spirit of God is present, believing that God wants to commune with us. And most likely, these are somewhat spontaneous songs of praise that would just erupt out of nowhere because people wanted to be with God, which makes the Baptists in the room super uncomfortable, myself included. But it's not, it's not emotionalism. But would you hear me? The opposite of emotionalism is not apathy. The opposite of emotionalism is not stoicism. God says there is a way to respond rightly to what you know, and it's praise. It's doctrine and doxology. When my kids were uh, smaller, when they were two uh, or younger, I would rock them to, to sleep. Uh, while they drank their milk, I would rock them while they're going to bed, and I would sing over them. I sing a lot, not around you, around a select group of people. And so I would sing uh, over them, and I would sing the same song from Asher all the way to the baby I have now. I would sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And just sing that over and over again as they fall asleep which would take about three hours. <laughs> Last night, uh, my two oldest are with Carrie. They're out of town, and so I have our baby, Ayla. She's two. I have her, just me and her, for the weekend. And I put her in bed last night and sang this song. She's drinking her milk. And I just sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I finished singing, and she goes, Dad. I said, yeah, babe. She goes, please stop. I just wanted you to know how uh, sometimes disappointing it is to, to try and do spiritual things with your kids. But there's two reasons. <laughs> there's two reasons that I sing that. One, I want them to know, this is the lesser important of the two, I want them to know that Jesus has my affection. 
I want them to know that. I don't just preach for a living. I sing that song and I mean it with every ounce of me. Struggle to keep it. Struggle to live out of it, but I mean it. And I cringe at the thought that they could believe that dad knows a lot about God, but doesn't enjoy love, delight in what he knows. I want them to see in my life both doctrine and doxology. The most important reason that I sing that over them is I want that song. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. I want that song to hold something for them. And and if I had my dream, that song would be an anthem of their life, that their life would be moment after moment of turning to Jesus, seeing him beautiful, seeing him wonderful, seeing everything else as paling in comparison. At the very least, my prayer is that that song that they've heard since they were born would be an instrument that God uses in their life to keep them close to the water, to keep them close to the stream in a world that is growing increasingly more wilderness, because that's what his songs do for all of us. It's why we sang this morning. It's why some of you, what you even felt in singing, in worshiping, in praising, is you were confronted with what you've missed and invited again to drink freely from the message of the gospel of Jesus, who loves you and fought your battles and surrounds you even now. And this is how we draw from the water, his word and his songs. This is how we plant our lives around the message of Jesus. So let me end with a question. Where does this fit in your life? What does this look like in your life? Obviously, you get that here. We do both of those every week. We teach the Bible. We sing his songs. And even when we couldn't meet in person, we found a way to do those two things, that the gospel would dwell among us even when we were separate from one another. But it's more than just Sundays. You know that. I know that. It's more than just this time. And if you and I would pay attention, what we would discover and what we would notice is that when these things are absent from our life, when time and his word, when time of worship are absent, which has been the case for so many of us because the last five months have been so disruptive to our normal routine and participation in things like church is becoming increasingly more difficult. Those masks haven't gotten any more comfortable since you put them on walking into the building, right? It's become increasingly more difficult. Watching online becoming increasingly more awkward and distracting. And so what we've probably and likely felt, if we've paid attention, is as the worship and as the word has diminished in our life, maybe, maybe we feel more distant than ever from the gospel of Jesus. Maybe for many of us, we now feel so much more desert than we do stream. And maybe it's because the ways that we draw from those waters has been disrupted in our lives or has even been neglected by us. And if that's you, we could go a few different directions and have a few different conversations. We could talk about a plan for daily time in the Word, which is important. Daily time, listening and singing to God, and that's helpful. But do you know where we start, where we always start? is with the gospel, is with the stream itself, the water itself, what will draw us back to life in the word of Christ. The gospel of Jesus is the gospel. It's why most weeks, if not every week, we say something like this. There is a holy, triune, perfect God who is so set apart 
by his holiness and by his glory, he is unapproachable because our lives are stained by sin and we're made by this perfect God to live lives of peace and we're made for him, but we're separate from him because of our sin against him and we have no hope in ourselves. And if we offer to that God our promises, it wouldn't be enough. And if we offer to that God our performance, it wouldn't be enough. And if we offer to that God how we stack up against others, it wouldn't be enough. And our gifts fall short and our morality strengthened in our minds by the failures of those around us is exposed as rags before a spotless God and we are apart from God, helplessly, thirsty, aimlessly wandering in a parched world needing life we have no shot at finding on our own. But God, rich in mercy because of his great love, transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son and he's made peace with us through the blood of his cross so that we might be blameless before him and that grace and love and salvation is always enough. And it always will be enough. And when I find myself perpetually failing, it's still enough. And when I find myself crippled with doubt, it's still enough. And in a world that's falling apart, it's still enough. And when I feel all alone and abandoned, it's still enough. And when I have neglected to read his word and sing his songs, it's still enough. And one day, I will stand face to face with that holy God And the righteous life of Jesus in my place will be more than enough to secure for me an eternity of joy and peace with the one who made me, saved me, loved me, never left me. So I will plant my life around that word and I will believe the prophet Jeremiah when he says, they who trust in the Lord will be like a tree planted by streams of water who doesn't fear when heat comes, continues to bear fruit even in times of drought. The good news of Jesus, our Savior, is the only source of life for For me and you in a dry world. Keep your life by that water. Dwell there. Let your heart thirst for his word. Let your heart long to sing his songs that we would remember over and again. Jesus loves me. He saves me. He's for me. God, we need you and we thank you. I pray, God, that you would bring us through your grace back to the source of life. I pray, God, for the one whose heart is so dry, the one whose life feels barren because of months of living in a world so unpredictable, months of living in a world where more loss is around the corner, months of living in a world that has, has figured out new ways to reveal to us our own inadequacies and our own failure and our own limits of control and what we need, God. What our hearts would want to believe is that we need everything except for you, but what we need is you and only you to fill our hearts, to quench our souls and your good and faithful, and loving, and just, and merciful to do that for us, God. I pray, God, for the man, woman in the room, watching online, that maybe has never known life with you, has only known wilderness. Would you right now, by your Spirit, invite them? Would the scales fall off of their eyes? Would the walls crumble around their heart, God, that you would reach into their life and you would make them alive, that they would flourish around the gospel of Jesus that died for them and that meets them right where they are, regardless of their past, regardless of their sin, regardless of their failure, and you wrap your nail-pierced arms around them and say, you're mine. 
Lord, for those of us who have maybe been at this a long time and still feel like we're fumbling into a disciplined life with you, fumbling into trying to fill our lives with your word and your songs and living out and under your name, would we remember that we will only grow, that we will only be shaped, that we will only welcome that life into our lives if we believe, God, that you first sought us, saved us, welcomed us because you love us. And I know many, God will now respond at home and they will sing through a screen. I pray, God, that as distant as that could feel, would you just visit them with just a special presence of your grace? Lord, for those of us who get to now respond as your word just commanded us to, by singing your songs to you, those who believe rightly about you and want to respond in a way of worship to you, both doctrine and doxology to you, beautiful God, help us. Visit us. We need you. We love you. Amen.